Welcome back. It's uh, time for the question and answer portion of uh, today's session. I'm going to remind you that the topic next week is successes and challenges for U of L students who are supporting refugee students. Dr. Ann Diamond is going to be speaking on that topic next week. And the following week is the uh, session on the Alberta government public em sector employees. And I can't remember the topic there, but it's in that range. Um, Question and answers, we're lining up at the microphone over here. Please keep your uh, preamble brief the, and to the topic, to the presenter, and that only short topical comments will be tolerated ahead of one or two respectful questions. And re please return to your seat after you've asked your question. Oh, at this session next week, SACPA, at the session next week, SACPA will gratefully be accepting audience, audience donations to U of L's WSC program, and as well, they will match those donations equally. So there's some charitable uh, possibilities next week that might be helpful to people. So if you'd like to line up there for your question, I'd like to and help me welcome our speaker back to the podium to answer those questions. Audrey. Thanks so much for having me back. <laughs> Hi, Andre. Hi. My name is Henning Mundell. First, I want to thank you. You're an incredible person, and what an incredible story you shared oh, with thank us. Thank you. I invited a friend to come here, but he couldn't come. That's but allow me to, and he had Lyme disease. Yeah, for sure. So I want to share with you what he wrote. So this is what he wrote in his annual letter, and that's what triggered me to follow up with him. So he's from Ontario, but he lives here uh, over half the year in the summer season in Ontario. So he ca caught his Lyme disease uh, while, while in Ontario, but he says, I caught the Lyme disease way back here in the sticks. It wasn't from Parliament's blood-sucking ticks. <laughs> He said, Eastern Ontario is a hot spot for Lyme disease. Fortunately for me, the doctors tested for it and caught it early. The high test antibiotic cleared it up in a week and a half. Because the Ontario doctor communicated with my family doctor here in Lethbridge, I ended up getting a phone call from an extensive interview with a contact in Alberta Health awesome. who is tracking all Alberta residents who've contracted Lyme disease. The incidence of Lyme disease here in Alberta is low to nil, but Alberta Health wants to be prepared and proactive. I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about that aspect, about the Alberta Health tracking on Lyme disease. Yeah, absolutely. Again, um, I'm not a scientist, I'm just a patient, right? So the only thing I can give is a patient perspective and what was passed on to me by my treatment team. So I do want to give the, the caveat that I have an excellent treatment team now. Um, I just have a wonderful group of physicians on my side. And also want to acknowledge that one of the people that did help me when I, uh, after I got cat scratch, it was actually a veterinarian that helped me identify <laughs> what was going on with that because I didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, uh, my veterinarian actually joked, he's like, I wish I could just treat you as like a 170 pound Great Dane, but I'm not allowed <laughs> to do that. So we need to find you a specialist. Um, so uh, in terms of tracking, there's so much uh, controversy uh, when it comes to that, and I don't want to delve too deeply into that. 
Um, I do believe in a science-based approach um, in terms of any disease, but I do think that there probably are many cases that are missed. Um, and uh, in a lot of cases, I mean, that's going to be no fault of the physician, right? When you have a disease that mimics autoimmune or mimics, uh, you know, MS symptoms, I mean, they, they call Lyme disease a great imitator for a reason. It looks like so many other things, right? Uh, so I think it's probably incredibly hard to track. There's, you know, constant sort of back and forth about how accurate the testing is, um, constant back and forth about uh, early detection. I think as we're going forward and, um, people are more open to listening to patient stories and kind of their very long road to diagnosis. I, I think we're gonna see improvement in that area. I think every illness as it's uh, up and coming, it kind of starts like this, right? People didn't know what FASD was when it first came about. We didn't know anything about autism when it first came about, right? Like back in the day, people were just considered odd and then one day they suddenly died. And we don't know what happened to them, right? So I, I think as we go along and we know more, I think that the surveillance is going to get better. Um, I know that once I, once I got a very good and engaged treatment team, um, they've been very good at following me and um, ensuring that I'm a part of that monitoring process, right? And there is also the tick surveillance program where you can send ticks in uh, for testing. So that gives them an idea of how, uh, kind of like where our hotspots are, right? For um, ticks that do test positive. So I think the future is promising. Um, I think we got a long way to go, but I think, I think the future is promising. I think there's a lot of engaged and really caring people um, you know, in the medical community and just like me working in human services, often, you know, our hands are tied by funding, uh, you know, lack of funding research. A lot of things can tie up what we need to do in, in a day or the fact that, you know, you have a caseload of, you know, 500 people and everybody's on fire at once. So, I mean, I, I get missing things, it happens. <laughs> Hi, I'm Judy um, and I want to stress how much I appreciate you being here. This Thank is you. such a service that you're providing. Uh, I have a two-part question. Um, if you don't feel you have the knowledge, you can just say so. <laughs> I'll um, try my best. So, so the uh, first part is, um, what is the frequency of the bullseye actually appearing and being part of the diagnosis? And the second part of my question is, how, how much time can elapse between exposure and first symptoms? Like, how, f how, how far in time-wise could you be before you have first symptoms? Um, so in terms of the rash, what I've read in terms of studies and, um, you know, like CDC and Mayo and things like that, I've read that it's anywhere from 15 to 30% of people get the rash, but again, I mean, it's very hard to track that, right? People might have had a rash and not noticed it. I mean, you can get bit in areas where you didn't know you got bit, right? I mean, ticks are quite small. They're not like a, you know, a large creature. It's not like getting a dog bite, right? So you're not gonna always know. Um, so I think that's probably very hard to track, but the last I read was about 30%. I mean, um, if it's higher than that, please correct me. Um, that's just what I read uh, last. So um, not everybody's going to have that manifestation. I think like any disease, you're not gonna have textbook manifestation of everything. Um, in terms for me, uh, getting symptoms, it was within the week that I started to feel very ill. And again, I was 23, so I thought that I had the flu, right? I, I didn't know any different. I was very healthy, very active, very athletic. Never know it now, but I used to have abs at one point. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, I thought it was the flu, no big deal, right? The article in the paper this morning that told about this presentation said that sometimes, it was just a little box, but it said sometimes it could be years before symptoms present. Do you know anything about that? There is, I think the jury's out on that one, but there is, um, you know, some study going into the fact looking at that people, um, 
could have manifestations of diseases later on as their immune system starts to go down. I don't know a lot about that, but the, I know that there is study going into that, and I will leave that to the experts. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Audrey, for your talk. Mary Shellington. Uh, I had the pleasure of sitting at the same table as you, so I asked a couple of questions, and I thought they were worth asking here. Um, I, I asked if uh, the uh, if only ticks uh, uh, can can pass on the Lyme disease, so maybe you can answer that. Uh, and 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 also, we were very interested in at our table uh, how you remove them properly, and and uh, so that's the information that we all probably need to know. <laughs> Absolutely. So in, um, in terms of how they're spread, uh, what we do know for sure is that they are spread by black leg ticks. Um, there's a lot of conjecture and a lot of discussion about, um, you know, maybe other animals spreading it, fleas spreading it. I try not to get into the mud because uh, nothing happens in the mud, right? I, uh, I liken that to you get your vehicle stuck in the mud and you can't go anywhere. I find discussions without um, backing don't really go too far, but I mean, I know that they are studying uh, transmission uh, from other means. I don't know a lot about that. I know that mine was in fact from a black leg tick and I was uh, CDC positive on both my um, tests, so. Um, for sir, thank you. Uh, so for removal, it's just really important that you get all the tick, that you don't, you know, twist it. Because uh, what happens is a lot of people just sort of grab it from the butt, right? And then they pull, and then you still have part of that tick in you. And if it's disease, then you just have that diseased thing still <laughs> inside of you. So it's really important <laughs> to remove it properly. If you're not comfortable doing that, uh, you can go, like, you're a, an ER, like the ER will remove a tick for you. There's tick removal kits you can get. Um, and also prevention is really good, right, too, making sure that you wear long clothes. If you're out hiking, making sure that you wear bug repellent, and I mean actual bug repellent. Like, I heard someone tell me, they're like, oh, I just, like, spray some, you know, SOS, I forget what it's called, the Avon stuff on themselves, and I'm like, I don't think that's worth getting Lyme disease for to save two bucks, but that's just me. Um, so, you know, I think wearing proper repellent, proper clothing, checking yourself, checking your animals for ticks, I think is really important as well as a part of prevention. Hi, Colleen Quintel, and I too want to thank you for your courageous um, presentation and also I want to thank you for being the hero in your own story because if you hadn't fought for yourself, um, nobody else would have, so thank you for, thank for you. keeping up the fight. Um, I have a little bit of a story about Lyme disease. Our grandson, who lived in Medicine Hat four years ago, uh, was bitten by a tick and um, got the bullseye. And um, his dad was fortunate enough, or unfortunate enough, to work with someone whose daughter had had Lyme, Lyme disease. And um, Chris consulted with that, that family, and they said immediately get to the doctor mm -hmm. and ask for this antibiotic, this yeah, diazo. Yeah, doxycycline yes. is the general treatment. Yeah. So they went, uh, they took Terrence immediately to the doctor. He was 13 years old, and this was in Medicine Hat. And the doctor refused to test for Lyme disease, but put him on the antibiotics. So he did a six week um, uh, thing of the antibiotic and is just fine. Um, my question to you is, what the doctor said to them was there was no Lyme disease in Alberta, which is why he wouldn't test. And the um, other fellow that had, his, his daughter had Lyme disease, had to actually go to the States and spend $10,000 to get his doctor daughter treated. 
are we still denying that there is Lyme disease in Alberta, or is it now recognized that it is here? Um, I, I always want to give the benefit of the doubt, right, because I think a, really wonderful, a lot of really wonderful people choose the profession they do for a reason, and you don't go into helping professions to purposely harm people, though sometimes that is the, um, the byproduct. Um, I, I don't know if it's so much denial as, I mean, like any emerging rare disease. Uh, imagine you go to school for 10 years and it's something you learned about for maybe an hour or two out of all of your studies. You're not gonna be an expert on it, you're not gonna know. Um, so I think just a lot of people don't know about it and uh, there's a lot of, there's just so much inserted into the Lyme disease debate too, right, that it's so muddy. So you have like your scientific research and then you have people who are also profiting off of Lyme disease, right, by writing books that are you know, uh, kind of false narratives of the disease. So I think that really muddies the waters as to what we're really looking at. Um, but I mean, obviously Lyme disease in Alberta, they wouldn't survey it if they didn't. I mean, veterinarians commonly find it when they test ticks. So I mean, we know what we know it's here. Um, I think just a lot of doctors may not know <laughs> that it's here. Um, and some do, right? Uh, fortunately, I found in the last probably two years, um, after I got diagnosed, um, I run into a lot of doctors that are like, you know, I didn't know about it, so I took the time to learn about it. Um, even my pharmacist, after he kind of saw everything I went through, uh, my pharmacist actually changed directions and went back to school to become an infectious disease doctor, which I thought was really <laughs> cool, so, um, and took the time to uh, learn about it. So I think it's like a lot of things, we don't know what we don't know when we don't know it, right? Um, but what I do think is helpful for myself working in human services, I always, try to be my own worst critic, right? And it, it hurts to hear criticism, it hurts to hear that maybe you didn't help as people as much as you thought you did. But I actually go on to forums of people that are receiving services to see what they have to say about, you know, the, the things and uh, the things that we do in my field. And, uh, and those uh, criticisms often aren't pretty, but you know what, we need to know those so we can do better. If you don't know you're hel not helping, how can you do better, right? How can you improve your practice? Um, I'm fortunate, my primary care physician is absolutely amazing, and as soon as this happened to me, he's like, you know what, I missed it with you, but I'm never gonna miss it with anybody ever again, and, uh, and took the time to study it. He's been one of my greatest advocates now, and uh, my care team is phenomenal. It took me a lot of time to get there, but the most helpful specialists, the ones that didn't know, were the ones that said, I don't know, but I'm gonna find you someone who does. And that's what was helpful to me. What wasn't helpful was the specialist who said, you know, you're really sick, I don't know what to do about it, this might kill you and there's no way I can help you. That literally was uh, an office visit of mine, which I have in writing. It's like, Audrey's a very nice lady, I'm sure I didn't help her at all. That's what it says on my clinical note. So I think we can do better than that. So my name is Mark Edel. My first question is, where were you hiking when you had the tick? Um, so I did a hike through, uh, I actually did a hike through BC, Montana and um, Waterton. I believe I got bit in Waterton, but again, right, I'm wearing a big hiking pack, I'm walking along, I didn't notice till I sort of took everything off at the end of the day, and then I realized that I had a tick embedded in me, right, and I had the rash, so. Because um, one of, okay, go ahead. It, it could have been Alberta or BC, I'm thinking probably Alberta, because that's where I sort of started out, right, so. Because uh, my wife was a research technician at the research center working with Dr. Tim Lissick, it was a tick specialist, and they spent a lot of time surveying southern Alberta for ticks. And one of the reasons that there was a denial that there was, we did not have uh, Lyme disease, because the tick that vectors it officially is not present, or was not present in uh, southern Al or in Alberta. 
So it'd be the same as if you went to the doctor and said, I've got malaria, where I got bitten in Edmonton. Well, we know we don't have enough liens in Edmonton. So this is one of the probably reasons. So I'm also interested now, you're saying that they've been surveying and testing ticks for limes and, oh yeah. So the tick that bit you, did you ever get it identified? Do you know if it was a new species that was vectoring or I, it's the I, same old one? I, I brought it in as I was instructed to do so and then I was basically told you got nothing to worry about and no follow-up after that, right? Yeah. So that's what I know about that yeah. tick. <laughs> so I wish I knew more because I think yeah. that would be helpful, but I, I mean, I am CDC positive, right? So I didn't just get it out of nowhere. I was CDC positive, I'm not now, obviously I've been treated. So you're not sure though, now the veterinarians and everything, you're saying that they are finding Lyme disease in the ticks? Yeah, we've seen, sure. I've seen a couple posts where um, they've um, identified ticks that have Lyme disease on them. Um, and I know that there is a surveillance program that you can send your ticks into. I don't know, I haven't seen the results yeah. on that, but I think it's promising that at least they're looking, right? Resurveying, because um, I mean, things migrate, right? As, as climates change, as things happen, we might start getting things that we didn't have before, right? So I think yep. it's always good to reinvestigate. Um, I'm sure, I mean, regardless uh, of where I got it, whether it was Alberta or BC, it was still in this region where we thought that that wasn't possible, right? And even my specialist, uh, when, I, when I saw the infectious disease specialist in the US, uh, he said, he's like, I don't know why there's that misconception. He's like, I know that there's Lyme disease in that area. He's like, ticks don't respect borders. He's like, you know, the tick's not just gonna stop at the border and be like, whoa, I'm done here, buddy, right? So um, he just thought, it, he, for him, um, he's, he's uh, worked all over the world, right? So he's kind of, you know, I mean, we're not a hot spot by any means, but obviously I didn't uh, pick it up from nowhere. Douglas Mitchell. Um, I'm a long retired veterinarian and as you know, the veterinary profession has had a lot of experience with uh, tick-borne diseases, particularly yeah, in sheep in the old country. Um, I would like to point out, I, I felt that there was an underlying criticism of our sister profession, the medical profession here in Alberta, unable to figure out what was going on with all your problems. Um, and I worry about that. Um, however, I, I need to say as, as a scientist that we must remember that medicine is an inexact science and we're always discovering new things. Uh, and in, particularly in the case of Lyme disease, differential diagnosis is quite complicated mm -hmm. in terms of similar conditions. And I just worry a little bit about attributing too much of what you've suffered to the original Lyme disease. You may have feel you've ha had enough explanation of that from the people you've consulted. But so I'm just really defending the medical profession a wee bit in here in the province, uh, and I'm sorry you've been moved, shuttled around, but it is an inexact science, and we need more research, obviously, and you've said that already, that we're, we're short of funding for that. But I just felt as a veterinarian, I should say these things. And I absolutely understand that as a professional, I'm a professional as well. 
And uh, again, uh, criticism is a part of what makes us better at what we do. Um, you know, feelings are, aren't fact, and offense has never saved a life. So um, I try not to be offended by criticism. It's my right as a consumer of the system who's paid into this system, who has worked, uh, to criticize lack of care. Not only have I criticized it, I have gone to higher boards of AHS advocating for uh, better scientific research, more funding, because I know scientists are underfunded, and I think that's an absolute travesty that the public doesn't understand how important that research is because you're only as good as your funding, you're only as good as the equipment you get, you're only as good as the time that you're given. And, uh, and I've acknowledged how wonderful my treatment team is and the doctors that have cared are amazing. And even the veterinarian that went out of their way to say like, you know what, man, I wish I could treat you right now because I understand this illness. And it was the veterinarian that um, advocated for me. The veterinarian helped talk to other professionals saying like, you know, I'm a veterinarian, I know what this looks like, um, and uh, this girl needs help, she's very sick, right? And I, and I do acknowledge that, but again, I went to over 27 specialists, two of them, and I have no problem with you not knowing the answer, but when you don't know the answer, I think it's good practice to refer to someone who might. Instead, I had to figure out who to get referred to, and I'm not a scientist, it's not my job in the system, uh, I went to school for psychology. I shouldn't be sitting there reading, you know, hundreds of medical journals. Um, and so the two specialists that did help me were the ones that, are, that said, hey, you know what, I don't know, but I'm not gonna find, I'm not gonna stop until I find someone who does. And my primary care physician who was like, I don't know anything about this, but I'm a doctor and I'm a scientist and I'm gonna learn on your behalf, right? And I think that's quality of care. I don't expect everybody to know all the answers, but we have a lot of people that are not getting their needs met, and I guess that's, that's multi-systemic, right? We have funding issues, we have uh, understaffing issues, we have people with large caseloads, but at the end of the day, the patient perspective is important because if people aren't being served in the system, then we don't have a working system. And I know that um, I've been very lucky, my treatment team has been very, uh, very great about listening to my story and following me, um, using me as a teaching guide. I've given my permission for my story to be used in terms of case study. Uh, in terms of being followed. Uh, I've, I've written politicians, right? So it's not like I'm just standing up here saying, you know, the medical system sucks. I'm saying help our medical system so they can do better. Because I know there's a lot of people out there, again, as I said, people get into the caring professions because they actually care about people, right? You don't get into science if you don't care. Um, and the fact that this is where all of you and the overarching audience can help is vote for people that uh, support science, vote for people that fund science, vote for people that are going to give us better, a better medical system. Our doctors and our scientists are only as good as the support they have, and we are doing a real crap job at supporting them. So yes, obviously there's two sides to that issue. Thanks so much, Audrey. <clears throat> I think you're just a phenomenal, phenomenally brave person, and I just grieve for the 12 years that you went along trying to figure out what was going on, and good for you for having that tenacity. Um, this brings me to my concern that you just talked about, the medical profession um, being underfunded, and the what we're facing right now, probably within, right after the Christmas and, and New Year celebration, uh, all kinds of cutbacks to our medical profession, and I think you said it best in terms of uh, an indictment against privatization of the healthcare system. And that is that if someone is being paid <laughs> for, for looking after you, 
um, they're going to find all kinds of things, uh, snake oil, to make you well. Uh, as long as they keep getting paid, just look at our pharmaceutical system that um, wants us all to have chronic illness. So um, uh, my nephew in California um, was treated with a an, uh, with a drug called Cipro. I think it's got a much longer name, but it's called by called Cipro. Mm -hmm. And yep. this is a horrendous drug, sort of the drug of last chance to treat um, infections. Were you, were you treated by with that? Uh, Cipro was actually where I got antibiotic toxicity from, um, and I'm really allergic to it. Um, that being said, every medication has side effects, and that's both positive and negative side effects, right? You can take a medication, and it can make you well. You could take a medication, and it can make you really sick. We all have different body chemistry. We all react differently. Um, there is, I have seen talk in the medical community about, um, you know, overuse of antibiotics in, in general, but specifically overuse of medications like Cipro, because it is so strong, right? And there is links to, you know, tendon damage and atrial valve damage and things like that, right? Seizures, anaphylaxis. Um, and I, I do believe now in Canada, it does have a black box warning because of, uh, because of the side effects. Um, I don't fault the doctor for giving me that medication, though. I mean, at that time, I was having chronic infections that were um, causing more damage, right? So they weigh risk-benefit, and at that time, it was more beneficial for me not to have a multi-systemic infection, right? So um, I try not to condemn drugs. I think drugs used appropriately and with knowledge are life-saving. They have been in my case. Um, I see a lot of people who are sick as me that refuse to go the medical route, and they're not getting better. And uh, you know, in online support groups, I mean, I see people die all the time because they're so afraid of engaging. And I understand that fear, um, but I think it's just approaching with, with knowledge. If you're given a medication, ask what it's for, ask what the long-term side effects are, ask what the chances of allergy are, read about the medication yourself, right? If you're gonna ingest it, the, you gotta know about it, right? And I'd, I probably should have asked the vet who was here before me, but um, do um, animals get um, Lyme disease from ticks because they're they're bitten by ticks all the time, like deer and dogs. Um, I believe that deer uh, have been found to have Lyme disease and dogs as well. There's actually a vaccine for Lyme disease for animals. Obviously, the veterinarian would be able to speak better on that than me. But the veterinarian that helped me out said, uh, he's like, I always find it funny that there's a, you know, I can vaccinate your dog, but I can't vaccinate you. He's like, it's a great tragedy for me. So, um, so yeah, animals, it is a zoonotic infection, right? So it initially originated with animals. We've got time for these two questions at the podium here, and then we're going to give uh, the last word to our speaker to formulate a take-home question for the audience on the issues discussed. So if there's anything you'd like us to really leave a message with, two more questions. Welcome. Thank you. My name is Andy. Um, I'm actually going down the road you've been down. Uh, I've just spent two and a half years trying to find out what's wrong with me. I'm very, I can no longer work. Um, I've left a career that meant a lot to me because of it. Um, but I wanted to address the, a couple of little issues. And the one, one was is that my experience with the medical profession, I'm very supportive of the medical profession, but my experience lately of late has been, I've been told by two doctors, two specialists, that it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Lyme disease does not exist. Um, the, the last one actually went so far as to said that the, uh, um, the infectious disease people do not support it either, and that 
that I should just like forget that going down that path and let's just take some more drugs. Um, at one point I was on uh, 590 tablets a month uh, trying to sort out each of the individual symptoms, whether it was the tremors, whether it was the headaches, uh, memory loss, uh, lost in the use of my feeling in my fingers and toes now. Um, various different things. Each, each, well, we'll have to treat this one. Now we'll have to give you this drug because this one's having this side effect on your body. Um, so now I'm peeling off of all those. But, I, but we've now, because of my wife is, and doing all the research she's done, has found me a medical doctor who does support the diagnosis. But it has cost me um, $1,000 out of my own genes to have, yeah. to have that test done because, because they don't do the test here for it. They do a very surface, is what I was told. Um, and but the doctor just had to look, like one look at me, some some marks on my body, and, and it diagnosed me at that point and said, "You have Lyme disease." There's no doubt in in her mind. Now we just have to go through the process of getting it actually um, uh, diagnosed. Sorry, yeah. I forget words. My wife has to help me out. <laughs> That's fair. Um, good thing you got a good wife to support you. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that that that. My, my last question to you is, is that you mentioned earlier about being sick for a long length of time, and that's what I've been warned of, is when it time comes that I start getting the treatments that I'm going to be. So can you elaborate on a little bit, like what that looked like? So for me, because mine was caught pretty late, I had to take uh, high dosage antibiotics, which is not normally what you would have, um, you know, if it got caught early. Um, not long term, but I did have to take a fairly high dosage of antibiotics and also uh, an immune modifying medication. Um, so with that came side effects. Um, so I mean, I had vomiting, uh, vomiting, diarrhea, um, just uh, general malaise and fatigue. Um, but again, the risks um, are, are quite minimal compared to the benefit, right? And that's what I just kept telling myself. It's like, you know, I can throw up for a few weeks if that means I'm gonna be able to go to the gym again or be able to go on a hike again, right? It's a small price to pay for feeling better. Um, and that's why I always tell people, I'm like, stick with your treatments. Um, and if you feel that your treatment plan isn't working for you or you're on way too many medications, it's within your right to ask for a medication review. Because um, sometimes what happens is, I mean, again, people are busy, right? You might have, uh, you could have a medication added onto a medication um, without that even being realized. Um, pharmacists are a good resource to do a medication review. Um, my pharmacist has been an extremely great help in reviewing meds and just making sure that I'm not on anything that's contraindicating. Um, so use your pharmacist, find a good pharmacist. That's a really, uh, people overlook pharmacists as part of your treatment team, but they are an amazing resource as a part of your treatment team. And I suggest always having a great pharmacist. Hi, thanks for uh, sharing your story so far. Uh, my name is Spencer and uh, last night I decided to watch some online stuff from our federal government on the uh, three pillars of their Committee on Health about yeah, the Lyme, Lyme disease framework. Yeah, yeah. and it was, uh, there was lots of chaos in there, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I heard stuff about research and science, and they said that they were supposed to put $4 million to research, and then the accusation is that it's only going to special interests. It doesn't involve the whole house, which is kind of normal. Yeah, I was uh, going to say. So my question actually is more personal to you. Um, with You mentioned hypothyroidism. Yeah, I started out with hyperthyroidism, and then it became hypothyroidism. Uh, mine was... Uh, due to my immune system attacking my thyroid. That's how mine started. So what I was able to deduct is that also along with that is uh, your B12s would crash, basically. Did oh, that yeah. Happen, did that happen to you? Yeah, oh, yeah. My uh, um, 
there's a host of symptoms that come with the other things you have, right? So um, I, I think our, our, our gentleman who's the scientist in the room mentioned, uh, uh, they call it diagnostic overshadowing. So you wanna make sure that you don't attribute all of your symptoms to one disease, right? That's actually how my cancer was initially missed because I just kept, um, I'd go to the ER and they'd be like, oh, well, you have Lyme disease. That's got like 150 different symptoms. So just go home and keep taking your meds, right? So diagnostic overshadowing is, is a danger. You don't want to attribute everything to one illness. Um, but in speaking with my treatment team, a lot of the damage done to my body is directly attributable to having a long-term multisystemic infection. Yeah, they did say it was kind of like hand in hand. If you get in one, you better just track the other. Yeah, it's, it's true. Thank you. And it, yeah, it's like any system when it goes wrong in your body, right? More things will start going wrong. Thank you. So a, t a take home question possibly, or a message for us that we'd like, that we should ponder on our own as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the best things you can do as a patient is to document all of your symptoms. Um, doctors aren't mind readers and they may not remember that, you know, you had this symptom back in 2015. Um, so I actually kept a catalog of my symptoms. I think that's really important. And I think it's very important to help form your own treatment team. So if your needs aren't being met with who you're with, um, ask, you know, ask to see someone else, that's your right. Um, I think another way that you can support um, those in our system to get better, whether that be through cancer or through Lyme disease or any disease is to uh, support politicians that support science. Um, whether it's your team that's one or not, you need to hold your elected officials accountable. That's what they're there for. Um, science saves lives, we need to support it. Um, and in terms of my criticisms, um, I would really invite doctors to sit and listen to your patients. I know you don't have a lot of time. I know you're tired. I know you've seen a lot of people in a day. I get it. I've had large caseloads in my field. Um, but these are still people's lives. At the end of the day, they may be a file number. They may be the 30th person you've seen already that morning. And, uh, but they're still people that are mothers. Um, they're somebody's son. Uh, they're somebody's child. But what should really matter is that they're somebody and people still deserve to have quality care. And if you don't know the answer, that's fine but then refer to somebody that does. And if that next person doesn't know the answer, then please refer to somebody that does. Don't get so busy defending your profession that people die while you're offended. 